0: Hey everybody, I'm Jay Worthy and this is the podcast for anyone trying to inject some adventure, purpose and balance into their lives. 28 Summers is all about living adventurously, seizing the moment and optimizing your life. Whether this is your first time or you are a regular listener, I'm just so glad you are here and I can't wait for you to hear some of the incredible stories my guests have. This week I'm talking to Stuart Robinson. Stuart is the CEO of Scotty's Little Soldiers, the charity he helped set up with his sister Nikki after her husband, Corporal Lee Scott, was tragically killed by an IED in Afghanistan in 2009. Dealing with Lee's death was incredibly painful, but it was made even worse by the fact that her children, Kai and Brooke, had lost their daddy, and were really too young to understand what that meant. We chat about Stuart's early career, the tragic events of 2009, and then the amazing charity which he has helped his sister build from scratch. This is a massively inspiring conversation and a great lesson to us all that finding work that doesn't feel like work is absolutely worth fighting for. As always, I hope you love this chat as much as I did. Stu, welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Really excited that you're here today. Mate, I'm
1: just thank you for inviting me. I feel We were talking earlier, I feel like I've got a bit of imposter syndrome because you've had some amazing guests on lately and uh, love what you're doing with the podcast. And I I love that um, guys like you have got this platform, this opportunity to kind of uh, get these stories out there. It's amazing. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, mate. And you definitely shouldn't have imposter syndrome because your story is... um, is really an important one to tell. And we'll we'll get into that in a little while. But let's start with a bit of full disclosure. So um, you and I are friends. We've been friends for a long time, since um, uh, before I had a beard and <laughs> before our voices got a bit deeper. Um, so we, we went to secondary school together. We were neighbours, uh, and we used to spend all our time together. I think I fell in your pond, and <laughs> we got some great funny stories there. Um, and then we used to drive each other to school, take it in turns. But then, as is often the way in life, I think we um, we lost touch a little bit. But we stayed in touch via Facebook. but didn't really have much contact. So I'd like to start with what happened after school. You went to university. What was your what was your life like after leaving school?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, they were great days. They were great days. I've got some brilliant memories of that. Uh, You've just reminded me of the falling in the pond in- incident. A few hours <laughs> as well, isn't But yeah, and. And that's one of the great things about social media, actually, is you know, for all the negatives and, and, and the challenges around that at the moment, there's that's one of the great things that we can reconnect with people that we kind of lose touch with, like we did, which was amazing. But yeah, we did we did lose touch a bit. Um, I um I get I, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was at, at school, you know. And, it, and I, it feels like everybody else is like, right, this is my path. I'm gonna be a doctor, a teacher, or whatever, you know. I had no clue, not particularly academic, average at best at, at most subjects, you know. Um uh, but I remember we did to, in, in the GCSE years, fun couple of years of high school, there was a business studies GCSE, and then they introduced um uh, it was called an advanced GMBQ in business. In, you could do that instead of A-levels, that was a path to university. And that was kind of the only thing, that was kind of the, the thing that I liked least out of all of the of all the subjects we had available. So I kind of went down that path and that got me to uni, did business studies at uni, um, specialised in marketing in the final year. So, okay, but, you know, that's great, but there's no real career path at the end of it. So I still, I got to the end of that. I still had no idea what it was I wanted to do. Um, but I did know that I was kind of interested in in the whole the marketing world and that kind of thing. And, and actually thinking about this, um, you know, for, for this interview and this this podcast, I was um, looking back on, on the career path and I realised that actually my entire career path, I had one interview for my whole career path, which was right at the beginning, one summer, um, coming back from university as a student and I, I got a job working in a... Um, for a company that did cold storage and they stored Mars ice cream. So they were busy in the summer. Any of the students to come in and help with the admin, I, I did that for a year. And then the following year, the guys next door gave me a call and said, Do you want to? We've got a similar kind of job that they recommended you. Do you want to come? And, and that business actually um, invited me back after university to go and work there. They were actually, they—they they, um, it was very glamorous. They processed frozen vegetables. Uh, you'll know the factory from yeah deepest darkest Norfolk Um, and um, they said yeah while you figure out what you want to do come come work for us do the pea season which was their biggest crop Um, so I went back and did that and actually obviously kind of managed to pull the wool over their eyes a little bit and they carved out a a job it's this factory in deepest darkest Norfolk but it's actually a part of a PLC and they had a group headquarters just outside of London um, and a couple of the directors kind of um, you know, did me a favor and they they set me up a trial down there and then they kind of created this marketing assistance role in in, in the department they had down there. Uh, so I went down there, um, still getting paid the same rate I was getting paid for the summer job, couldn't afford the rent, couldn't afford the bills, did the three months and um, just yeah, managed to kind of fluff my way through that and they gave me a permanent job. And then basically over the next like 13 years, I... I stayed in, in what was effectively the same business. Just, just everything changed frequently, you know. I mean, even in that first year, I think there was, was a change of ownership and then there were mergers, acquisitions, nothing stayed the same. So there were all these, these different opportunities kind of like coming up that I just managed to kind of manoeuvre my way through. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was kind of like, you know, the, uh, the sort of next step out I still didn't know what I wanted to do really. But, yeah, I'd ended up in this, kind of, this marketing business-to-business environment.
0: It's really interesting as well. I mean, a similar thing happened to me when, when I uh, you know, left Norfolk and went off to university. I, I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do. And you end up sometimes falling into a career, don't you? You don't, you don't mean to. You don't really have any strong aspirations. I think for a lot of people listening, that will be the case. They find themselves in a job. Maybe they've got good pay. Maybe they're in a good position. But it, it never never necessarily felt like their passion, something that they wanted to commit their life. They wanted to be their life's work. Um, but it, but it happens. So I can imagine people are already leaning in, listening, thinking, know oh, this is really interesting because it 's obviously not what you do today. but before we get to what you do today, you started to i think you know progress in your career and and that you found yourself kind of moving up the food chain. I think you got yourself into a pretty good position in, in that organisation with, you know, good prospects. You tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I
1: mean, it, it, it was about those those opportunities that just came up. I just, I but it was playing the game. Do you know, it was it was. You're absolutely right. You know, and it was all about you know where's the next promotion coming from? Where's the next pay rise? Uh, when does the car lease run out so I can start to think about what I'm going to get next? It was all it was all kind of driven by that and these opportunities presented themselves and I just made sure I was in the right place. And then yeah, somehow ended up in kind of a senior position, you know, running the, the marketing, um, product development, uh, packaging. Um, and then, yeah, actually had sort of 13 years in that business and then prior to doing what I do now, spent 18 months working in a, in a different business as commercial director. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, financially the rewards were pretty were pretty decent and and the prospects were pretty good and i think you know at that point i was realizing though that I just just wasn't driven you know I wasn't passionate about what i was doing and it and it, but it was it gets very difficult because you feel a bit trapped because every every pay rise you get you, know, you you live to your means a little bit you stretch yourself a little bit you know you've got the nice car you know, I remember at one point twenty nine. I had a Lotus Exige. I had my own house. I had you know it was everything was was moving forward. But did I did I love what I, what I was doing? No, I didn't dislike it. It was fine. I like the people and so. But you know it was it was working Monday to Friday to get to the weekend to then go and do what you kind of wanted to do uh, as your passion. So you know yeah things things were going well on paper, but you know
0: yeah. I'm smiling, Stu, because if you have any residual imposter syndrome still hanging around at the start of this podcast, it should be well and truly gone. Because I think you have just perfectly summarized how a large percentage of the adult population feel. It's it's not that they and people I speak to all the time. It's not that they hate their job. They They have moments of job satisfaction and there's. You know some material benefits to the job and the career that they have uh, and they can provide for their family and there's some security there but it's also a little bittersweet because that same thing that provides the security is also the prison that's around you and stops you feeling like you can follow your your passions and and i feel really strongly that we have such a fleeting moment on this planet uh, you know, I, I turned 43 with same age, um, you know, just turned 43 last year. And you suddenly think it sounds a bit macabre, but I could be halfway. If I live to 86, I'm halfway. Maybe if I live to, le- I'm over halfway. How do I want to spend the remaining days? Do I want to spend it living for the weekend or do I want to spend it, you know, full of joy and excitement and that childlike feeling? And frankly, that's why I started this podcast. Not because I ever thought it would be particularly big, but because, I just want to spend my time talking to people like you who, who are brave enough to make those decisions and go on and, and kind of live their life. So I took a total sidetrack there, but I just wanted you to know that, that that it's entirely credible what you're saying. And I know that people will be leaning in, listening more. So so as you were getting to that point, you were starting to think, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe it's, it's good, but it's not great. Um, and then your whole world changed in 2009. Um, because of something that happened uh, to your sister Nikki, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so sure. I mean, Nick, yeah. So Nick and I um, uh, have always have always been pretty close. It's about four years between us. She's she's four years younger than me. Um, and you know, you, you you spoke earlier about the you know sharing the car rides to school, and so there would be us guys, and then there'd be Nick in the car. We'd figure she loved all that. You know, be the the older guys giving her a lift into school. Um, so yeah, and Nick, Nick didn't did go down the, the university route. That wasn't for her. She was still kind of trying to carve out, you know, what, what does she want to do, um, working in, in pubs. And, and, and she met this guy, um, Lee, who uh, who was this, this, this funny, crazy kind of guy and he was always asking her out. She was like, get out here, Lee, like I'm not, you know, just, just not buying into it. At, at, you know, Lee was a young guy and then he um, he joined the army. And then, uh, he, he, you know, they stayed in touch and he started writing letters back to Nick when he was on a tour or something. And she she saw a massive change in this guy. You know, the, the army really matured this guy and they started getting on really well. And then they actually started dating. And, you know, long story short, they ended up getting married um, and um, he, you know, civil tours, Kosovo, Iraq, uh, they moved down to Tidworth. He was in the tank regiment, um, Second Royal Tank Regiment, as it was at the time. And so... That was where the, uh, the the garrison was. So they moved down there. Had two children, Kai and Brooke. Um, uh, so brilliant, you know. Ha- really happy for her. Got you know great family. Just things, just you know, without really having a plan, just kind of evolved. And she's in this great space, and they're really happy. And um, I just you know Lee, just this this is really great guy. Just loved his family, and you know, if, as a brother, that's all you kind of really want is you know someone that's going you know like after your, your little sister and um so yeah and then and then lee you know part of his job afghanistan kicks off he goes on tour to afghanistan and then uh in july 09 we get the news that that lee's been killed um in action um and you know nikki um you obviously tell she tells a story um better than i do but um i mean from my perspective i, I was living in Norwich and it's funny because I was trying to think about I don't even I don't even remember the phone I obviously had a phone call. But I don't can't remember the phone call at all. Um so I can't remember would imagine it would have been one of my parents, but Lee was Lee was in the uh, the lead vi- Viking in a um convoy and uh, the Viking had uh, yeah, uh, uh, an improvised uh, just um um an IED. Uh, and he and he was killed at the scene. So yeah, dark dark days. For the family right then um and kai was five years old and brooke was seven months old uh at the time and so you know nikki's whole world
0: yeah i can imagine it's still incredibly hard to to talk about that um like you said you've got that that protective brotherly instinct right for your your sister not just your sister but somebody you were really close to and and you're close enough in age that you you grew up together and and then you are so happy for her to have met lee i, I you know it, I, I don't really have any comprehension of how difficult that time must have been for you as a family, but I have been in and around Scotty's now for for ten years, and um, it, it it never fails to get me that story. And and I think partly just because of the you know the the tragic nature of it, but also as a parent knowing that these these two kids, Kai and Brooke, uh, their whole lives were changed forever in that moment, and. And I think also a lot of people at the time weren't thinking about the children. They were thinking about the the partners that were left behind. And so a lot of focus was there. And, and I know that, say, nine or 10 months after Nikki decided to go on holiday, I was convinced, I think, by one of your cousins to go on holiday. And... Uh, in, in that moment started to talk and think more about the idea of Scotty so can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah sure she yeah you're absolutely right I mean Nick, Nikki was uh she, she didn't really want to do anything you know she, she I remember she lost a, a ton of weight she you know it's just really not healthy not in a good place and like you say one of our cousins actually persuaded her to, to go on holiday and take you know that it would be the right thing to do for the kids and didn't really want to do it, but she she went and and it was at that point that she saw Kai in the swimming pool with his with his cousin second cousins and and laughing and playing and she realised at that point that's the first time that he she'd seen him smile since his dad's death and and at that time you know this is the height of the Afghanistan conflict and she's beginning to think wow how many other children are going through this same experience that kai's going through right now but haven't been given that opportunity to smile um and you're right you know i think it was that combined with the fact that she wanted lee's name to live on and stand, you know there's this this guy who was just like the the life and soul of the party and and it just felt that wrong that that he, he you know his memory wouldn't kind of continue to stand for something and so with that and then recognizing that, like you say, you know, there was Nikki had a lot of support from from the regiment and from family and, you know, we've got some great uh, military charities that support our veterans, you know, we all, I'm sure we all know that there could be more that can be done, but she found that there was very little direct support for the kids. And so she's starting to think, well, how can I, how, yeah, how many other kids are in this position and what can we do about that? Is there something we, we can do? And then, hence, this is the, the initial conversations about what was eventually to become Scottish Little Soldiers.
0: And I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but um, were you, when Nikki first started talking about it, did, did, were you instantly drawn in or were you, I mean, because you'd obviously seen her go through this, this horrific time and were, were clearly worried about her health. And you know, where, where she was personally. And when she started talking about this, did you immediately think, yes, this is a great idea, or were you skeptical at first?
1: Yeah, that's a good no one's ever asked me that question, actually. It's probably something I've, I've avoided because I think I think the answer is probably, yeah, we maybe were a little bit skeptical. I think there was definitely um externally o- over the next like 12 months or so, the there were comments like. You know, oh, that's nice. Grieving widow trying to do something charitable. Yeah, let her, let her do that kind of thing, and then it will kind of fade out. I think for us, because because of family, you, you maybe you're thinking, well, maybe this is a, a mechanism for her to cope with her grief, and maybe it will fizzle out. But of course, you're going to give her 100 percent support, and and if we can make this work, and and we didn't have, um, a, you know, there wasn't a grand scheme of you know this this huge charity that was going to develop. It was you know her vision at that time was um if she, if she could raise enough money to buy a holiday home so that other families could have the same opportunity that she had, had then that that was going to be fine for her you know so so i think yeah um no idea what it was going to become were we was i skeptical about what would happen where it would go the longevity maybe a little bit but we were 100% obviously behind her and we we're going to do whatever we could to support her with that
0: yeah and that's why i asked the question because obviously about that time you and i got back in touch and uh via the magic of facebook which as you said at the start sometimes gets a bit of a bad rep but it was actually a wonderful tool for us to stay in touch and i saw eventually the tragic news and then i saw you guys start to talk about uh scotty's little soldiers and i immediately got in touch with you um and so you you started uh i guess this with this original mission, just to kind of help make children smile again, young people smile again, and that was through the idea of having this holiday home. And at that point, you're still working full time, right? So you you're, you started to juggle this all in your spare time. How was that?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and, and at this, yeah, we're not even considering that there's going to be any any staff for this charity. It's just it's a it's a fundraising mechanic that then you know we buy the holiday home and we provide it i mean that's pretty straightforward isn't it seems quite straightforward uh and then obviously as things develop it's a little bit trickier than that there's a little bit more involved uh and then you find that there are more and more families coming forward saying well this is this is great there's nothing like this that exists and uh actually we'd, we'd really like the opportunity to meet some of the other. it's nice to have the break but we'd quite like to meet some of the other families and so then, what? Like, okay well can we set up some sort of group event. And then Nikki wants to recognize, make sure that the, the, the families and the children don't know uh, that they know that they haven't been forgotten. So she then starts sending out little gifts around birthdays and then the numbers are going up. So the, the, the number of work, the level of work that's involved is, get, is getting greater. So, so yeah, it's evenings uh, and weekends um, but it's one of those things where you you, you know anyone anyone will recognise this when you've got when there's something that you're, you're passionate about you know you can't wait to get home to crack on with it and before you know it it's two o'clock in the morning but it's fine because you're just you're just getting on with it and then the weekends come and you you're driving all up and down the country to do events you know there's no you've got a team of fundraisers so if there's something somebody wants to to do something in you know Manchester then you're the ones that are going off to to do it so so yeah it was I think. Um, was it was it difficult? No, because it, it didn't feel, it wasn't work, it was what we wanted to do, so it's not hard, but it wasn't easy at the same time, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah it makes total sense. And obviously, uh, being, being around the charity at that time, in those days, it felt very much like a, a kind of a family affair, you know, that the events were all family. A lot of the volunteers around the country were family or friends. Um, but you guys were doing some some hard yards i mean you were always always working uh, do, do you remember the moment where you started to realize that it was going to be more than just this kind of sideline passion project maybe raising a bit of money but ultimately you'd still have a day job too actually this this not only could be something big but actually we need to do this because the children need us.
1: Yeah, to be honest, no, there wasn't a point. It, everything just kind of grew organically. And it's really weird because even up until probably 12 months before I, you know, fast forwarding, but before I start working for, for the charity, uh, I didn't, I didn't honestly, at that point, didn't think that I would, that there would be a role there. It wasn't even on the radar. And I've got these these kind of two things going on in tandem. I've got my own kind of realisation that I'm not, really fulfilling what i'm doing but you know still feeling a bit trapped um i've got you know my 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 cousin's a massive inspiration to me she was in a, in a car accident on a on a gap year and has been in a wheelchair ever since and she was involved in a charity called backup she she went on to do a phd and she's you know got family and she's an amazing person but so i'm seeing kind of the stuff that she's involved with this charity backup and thinking that's oh, Quite, you know, there's something around this kind of. I want to do something that that means something to me, and that's going on on one side. And then on the other side, we, we're developing the charity, and I'm not even putting the two together. It, it's, it's just like when you look back now, you think, oh, there's a, these things are running parallel, side by side, working out. You know, it's, it's obvious what's going to happen, but we honestly didn't. Everything kind of grew organically. It was like, you know, month by month, right? What, what's happening now? Demand's going up. Right, we'll, we'll do this. We'll do that, and yeah, you know, we we did get to a point where we said okay, we need, we've need. we got some volunteers in a small office that we've been given at the back of an insurance company in, in Kings and up in Norfolk. And uh, we're, we've, we've got so many families now and they're booking holidays. We need to get these guys um, you know, paid, you know, part-time but paid staff so that they're there. They can come in every, every day kind of thing. And that was the first step. And there was Nikki and there were two other girls that did a part-time role. Uh, and But we're talking like two years in, something like that, probably, to be honest. And then and then we, yeah, then we, you know, the trustee board, you're, you're absolutely right, you know, it's all friends and families at this point, you know, and then the trustee board begins to evolve and, you know, like you, people like yourself that have got, you know, strong professional background begin to give giving us a bit of help and, and, and advice and, and it just begins to develop, like I say, very much organically, which is a nice, it's actually in the long, it's a slower process, but in the long term, it's actually been really, really helpful, to be honest.
0: And I really, I really... Uh, value that story because I think we're often kind of peppered with these stories of people that have these really inspirational epiphany moments where they ditch the you know the corporate job or the you know the material lavish lifestyle and follow their passions I mean the founder of Charity Water is a great example right and and they make for great soundbites and stories but for most people I don't think that's how it really happens because how often are you in the scenario where you can just leave behind your old life and just suddenly start a new life with, with totally different kind of perspective? I think what you've described is it is it happening over time, which I think is more valuable for people because they start to see that you don't have to have it all figured out at the start. You didn't go into Scotty's thinking, one day I'm going to be CEO of this charity. You went into it saying, I'm going to help my sister. And it became all consuming and your passion so that when that moment came up, it was the only decision I think you could you could make at the time because it felt so natural. And I I could be wrong, uh, maybe my mind's playing tricks on me. But I, I remember having a coffee with you and us both saying, "Feels like the right time for the charity to have a CEO." I think you might have even said it to me, and you weren't even at that point thinking about yourself for the job. I I, I remember that conversation and saying to you, "Well, well, you could do it." Yeah. Is that am I am I imagining that or do I think? Yeah, that yeah no,
1: you, you're right, and this and that's how, that's how it kind of it was evolving, you know, and it, it wasn't. Uh, I, and I, I like that now for myself because I think it, it, we did it for the, everything for the right reasons, and it wasn't like I, I'm carving out this, you know, developing a charity to to scratch my own itch. It wasn't about that. It was about like this is what's required for, the, and it was only at the very last minute, like, well, actually, maybe I am the right person to help out here, you know. And Nikki needed that 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 guidance, that that kind of support. And we that yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's that point we like. Well, we need someone to kind of you know Nikki's the the face of the charity, but we need someone behind the scenes that's kind of helping, like operationally, I suppose. And and yeah, I I, I didn't. And I, and again, you know, go back to that comment earlier about feeling trapped. You know, with the financial side of things and thinking about wow, this is going to be a huge step back financially to to do that and then all but all of a sudden just all of these kind of these these two parallel journeys just kind of aligned and it just felt like yeah you're absolutely right this is this is the time
0: the moment of clarity and and i i'll say this because you won't because you're far too humble but um you know i've i've been privileged enough to to see you work over the last decade and and you're you're a really talented leader i think you have a really uh, easy leadership style that, that actually is not that common in, in kind of modern society, modern business. Um, and I've seen the way that you've helped Nikki kind of gradually, brick by brick, build this from just an idea to raise a bit of money to a really meaningful organization with clear standards, uh, clear mission, a clear purpose, and a clear uh, position and niche that that makes it essential. and. I, I wonder. You probably. I, I think I know the answer to this, but I wonder. Do you ever look back and think, what would my life have been like if I didn't, if I didn't take that opportunity, if I'd have stayed on the kind of the corporate track? I, I try not to, to
1: be honest. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd love to say that I think that maybe the, there would have been another spark of inspiration, and I'd have kind of woken up and I'd have realised that there was, the, you know, time to make a change. But I, I, probably I could see the way that that it was getting it was all positive stuff, you know, but there were, there were, you know, I mentioned earlier that there was a new job that I'd started just sort of 18 months prior to, to joining the tech charity. Um, it's a much smaller business, um, great guy running it, um, you know, really an opportunity to have a, rather than being a part of a bigger organization and a smaller part of a bigger organization, but having a real impact on this smaller company um, that was, that was much more profitable so the opportunities there financially yeah, he was looking for a partner to like run the business with him long term you know and, the, and some of the conversations that were going on, that i i would have just followed that path you know and the, the, there there would have been nothing wrong with it but i just know that the, there would have been a point where i would am i happy you know, That there'd have been financial security that there'd have been like, that, that that side of it would be fine i wouldn't have hated what i was doing but i wouldn't have loved what i was doing
0: yeah i think knowing you fairly well i you clearly get um energy. It's a source of it. Scotty's is a source of energy for you because you believe so much in the the mission and you know you care so deeply about the young people that Scotty's works with. I think that's a source of energy for you that you would probably have struggled to get from, you know, frozen foods or whatever industry you ended up you ended up in before. Um, and I think I almost think without being too kind of cliched about it, I feel like that energy is the source of your creativity. Like you, you're so creative—the way that you think about the organisation, the way that you uh, are inspired by other organisations, and think about ways to kind of evolve Scotty's—and—and and I can't imagine you doing that with other with something else, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, a hundred percent. If you are um, if you are passionate about something, you know, if you love doing something, you do better work. There's no—I've seen it firsthand, you know—and it's not just me. You know, we've got a we've got a small team of people now. And um, you know, one of our core values is to love what you do, and it just it just makes a difference. You know, from, from my point of view, that's a, that's a selfish thing because the more that these guys love what they're doing, the better the output is, the better the performances because it just comes. It's not work, you know. And I, and I discovered that I could I could see that like when we started the charity, and um, you know, Richard Branson talks about this. You know, not really seeing the difference between business and, and pleasure. To him, it's all just living. uh, You know, and it, and I just it, until you, until you kind of are in that position, it's maybe quite hard to appreciate. But it, it's just doing what you would be doing at the weekend as your hobby or the thing that you look forward to doing at the weekend, but all week long. And when you do that, it's just not, it's not work. And then the things come a lot easier. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, okay. It doesn't matter how much I might have said that. I was passionate about selling frozen peas to Tesco's. I, I you know, I, I wasn't. You know, but but when you're when you are passionate about something, it really, it does, it does show through. I 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the sound bite right there. That's, that's an incredibly powerful uh, point of view. And and I know from personal experience that um, when you start to lean in and invest in things that you're passionate about, uh, I think also amazing things happen. So I think that uh, again, without being too cliched, I think when you start to lean into something that you're passionate about and you start to spend time with people who, feel the same way about those things, then opportunities present themselves to you. So for you, that was ultimately ending up becoming CEO of Scotty's. But there have been these wonderful watershed moments as well, right, in the evolution of Scotties, where um, things have naturally led on to these amazing moments where high-profile people have supported the charity or you've been able to kind of move on. Maybe talk about some of those moments that really, as you look back fondly on the kind of the scrapbook of the last 10 years, what are the big, watershed moments for scotties that have really helped it level up
1: yeah i think these things happen um because it's all been being authentic you know and it's it's all you know it starts with Nikki's story and i think if like you know to be honest if if guys like you and i sat down in a room and said let's create a charity that supports reinforces to it it wouldn't look like scotties does today and that's the beauty of it is that it has come organically it's come from the families telling us where the gaps are, and then us finding solutions rather than us thinking we know what what the solutions are to the to the problems. But um, and yeah, and I think then people kind of come on that journey with you because because of that authenticity. So I mean, there, were, the, there have been um, some real kind of trigger points. I think back to Nikki winning uh, a Millie Award, um, which was which was relatively early on. So at that point, the Millies were actually, you know they were they were on. TV prime time at that that point um and so you've got an audience there we sometimes watch back the video actually so you know you've got jamie oliver presented it with the award but there's there's the you know the prime minister at the time in in, in the audience and the, and the cameras cut to him and he's you know, wiping his eyes, you know uh, having heard the story um of setting up the charity and that was a big boost for us you know you, you look at the analytics and the donations and things they all these like little trigger trigger points throughout the, the history of was that and then obviously. Um, prince harry uh, getting on board um, and and supporting us and then when when he got married um, him and meghan um, selecting scotties as one of the seven charities so of all the charities globally that they could have picked that kept kind of coming out of out of the blue um, which was which was financially you know obviously pretty pretty healthy for us pretty decent but it's it's just the fact that you know they chose up that means so much to us you know that they got behind us and they've supported us several times since and um, the, you know there's been a number of number of things but each year there's just a, there's a little something that just kind of like gives us a little little further boost um, uh, you know the, just just recently Piers Morgan on on who wants to be a millionaire on ITV sadly didn't get to the million pounds but fair play to him for it. For donating his own money to to make up what he lost, but um, yeah, you know, and I, and I think, I mean, to be honest, that's that's Nikki, you know, that's her story and that authenticity that people look at it and go, yeah, absolutely, that you know, we, we want to help you guys and we do very little asking, if I'm honest. Um, you know, it's not not our style. We want people to kind of judge us on on what they see and, and the work that we're doing, and then hopefully they they come on that journey with us.
0: I will just say this because I've said it once. You're a humble guy, so it, it is Nikki. But I, I feel a bit like you said. If we were all sat in a room and Nikki wasn't there, Scotties wouldn't have looked the same. In the same way, I know Nikki so well, and I know she would be the first to say this. If she was in a room on her own, Scotties wouldn't look like this. It's it's the it's the combination of the two of you that I think has resulted in this incredible organisation that has the the perfect balance between you know, Nikki's story and the authenticity of, of her story and out of her trauma, this desire to really help people, combined with your vision for what the charity can be and the the, the rigour and the organization that you bring, but in, in such a I think such a modern way that doesn't feel like you're trying to make Scotty's another British Legion or SAFA Forces help because that's not what we need. We don't need another big uh, institutional charity like that, what we need is a modern charity that will never lose sight of the young people that it's serving and I, and i i'm not trying to embarrass you but but you do that so well and I think Scotty's is lucky to have the two of you because with just one of you i don't think it would be the same
1: yeah I think uh, that's actually I, I, yeah you know, i you know me I did do a lot of reading about this kind of thing I draw a lot of inspiration actually from 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 the commercial world more than I do the charitable sector from if i'm honest and and actually, that is something that you see as a bit of a trend. It's not always that obvious, but a lot of successful startups have two founders, have co-founders, you know, and you think of like Airbnb and a lot of these organizations that we talk about today, the PayPals, and at least most of them have had actually two founders that kind of balance each other quite well. And you know, there might be a, a, a figurehead who's a bit more charismatic and sousy, but then behind the scenes, you've got someone that's perhaps financial or, or operational. And Yeah, I think that that balance and being brother and sister it doesn't it doesn't work for all families but for us you've got that just that instant trust don't you so you, there's not even a question of like you know is, is this person doing it for the right reasons or anything like that you know it's it's 100% trust so that's out of the that's that's out you know out of the way from day one kind of thing so so yeah I, you know i think combined you know two people you know, I and mean, let's be honest, we've had a lot of help as well. so no.
0: I think I think that's absolutely right. So um, you know we're coming up on time here, but a few things that I wanted to touch on. I think for a lot of people listening, uh, you know I'm sure they'll be really touched by the story and and really inspired by what the organization does. Uh, but there may also be you know a lack of understanding out there. I think we see it quite a lot where people think, well we're not we've not got significant numbers of troops operationally deployed. So is this as much of a problem as it was in 2009, 2010? And I know you've got a really clear point of view on this, uh, particularly with the types of members that we're getting now and how they lost a parents. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's uh, there's, a, there's a
1: few different ways to look at it. I mean, the, the numbers for us um, continue to go up steadily um, for two reasons. One is that, uh, unfortunately, there are always... Uh, new fatalities within within the military, um, and you know, not all in combat. Some can, some are accidents, some are illnesses. Sadly, we see more suicides right now than than, than any other cause of death, um, which which is, you know is a well publicised um, uh, challenge for us right now. Um, so we continue to see numbers go up. Okay, not not skyrocketing in the way that they did. Digit- during the Afghanistan conflict. But then the second side of that is that Scottish is still a you know, relatively, uh, you know, not massively known organization. We're, you know, we grow a little bit each year. There are probably, to our estimates and some work we've done with the MOD in the past, uh, could easily be another 1,000 Children and young people across the UK that have already lost a parent that don't actually know about Scotty's right now. So, so each year we're, we're picking up new beneficiaries that have a sadly lost, um, you know, experienced the death of a parent now through whatever you know, whatever cause. But also those that are finding out about Scotty's that perhaps have you know had a parent that was killed even maybe back in, back in afghanistan or, or since then so so the numbers for us continue to go there's a lot of work for us still to be doing
0: and, and of course outside of that uh, we're we're dealing with such a wide range of ages as well so it's not a moment in time it's actually an ongoing support structure that's needed so you know i mean kai and brooke are the perfect example of that brooke was really too young to understand when lee died what happened and so her grief really came later right yeah absolutely so
1: yeah you know we're not looking at uh, uh there are a lot of charities that will be geared up to deal with a a crisis point solve that crisis and help you know empower those those guys to move on for us you know we're looking to to do that but you're going to see that there are trigger points for our childhood so you know we're, we're providing this kind of holistic uh, community for for these young people um, across, you know, from from literally from you know babies right up until young adults, twenty five years of age, um, and you know, there's there's gonna there's a lot of really great positive, you know, educational things that we're doing for Stride and, and our Springboard program for you know, career guidance and life skills and things like that. So there's loads of things that they can be tapping into, but then there's this support program underneath that that will can catch these guys when they fall, yeah. So as you you know, you said there about Brooke being uh you know seven months old at the time of Lee's death, she didn't, you know, at that age, it was all about kite, you know, and he had, you know, nightmares and lots of difficulties dealing with with his dad's death. For Brooke that that came later, you know, and now she she struggles more because she can't remember, you know, and then and we found that there are trigger points like um, you know, moving to a new school, Um, you know there are milestones in life aren't there getting married driving lessons you know graduation different you know anniversaries all these different things can can trigger different emotions and um, yeah so so yeah it's it's actually not about so much about the the number of beneficiaries it's more we we tend to look at it in the the years that of support that, that, that these guys may need but we'll be there for them if they do.
0: Yeah, what does the what does the future, the near term future for Scotties look like? What are, what are you kind of working on? What are you excited about? What's the the next big milestone? I feel
1: I feel like I say this every year, but I'm really excited about the year ahead. I think it's because we've still got that kind of startup mentality that every year we're developing new you know new things. Um, and, and this year is really about um, infrastructure, I suppose, and, and the, the kind of professionalisation of what, what we do. With We've spent, you know, years really understanding, you know, where the gaps are, what the needs are, and and now we're really kind of making sure that we we've got everything kind of pinned down. We've got a framework of understanding how our support's helping, you know, and we're measuring that. What does success look like? Making sure that what we do is actually is actually needed, is relevant to young people. Um, we've got a, we've got some really great people on board now to help us do that, uh, and so. This year, I I don't see as, there are new things that we'll be adding all the time. We've had to adapt our service because of the the COVID uh, pandemic that we've had over the past 12 months or so. Um, And so we'll continue to adapt. But this year really is about making sure that we've got that kind of framework really nailed down. Um, And and yeah, it's really exciting. It's taking the charity to the next level.
0: Yeah, it's great. I'm I'm really excited too. And um, you you do always have such energy around Scotty's. And every time we sit down and talk about it, uh, I get excited for what the uh, the future can hold. And I think with COVID, uh, you've been able to you know really reimagine a lot of the things that Scotty's does. And I'm sure some of that will stay as hopefully the world gets through this pandemic and starts to get back to some kind of normal. I think you guys have unlocked some really interesting stuff that you'll continue to do. You've
1: always been very digitally focused. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, uh, like COVID has sped up a lot of trends in that area, which which suits us in, in you know you know no, nobody wants us to go through a global pandemic like we have done, but uh, but those trends fast forwarding have suited us a bit, you know, both in our delivery um and the use of technology but also in terms of fundraising and we've got you know, you know platforms like overwatch which is the way that people can help support the charity ongoing um, and that's something that we really want to focus on on going forward yeah
0: and how can people find out more and, and get involved well the website
1: is always a good place to start just give us a google scotty's little soldiers um uh scotty obviously lee was known as scotty in the army and he called kai's little soldiers so that was the kind of inspiration behind the name to be honest and um so yeah and we're on all the social networks it's usually Scotty's little soldiers or on twitter it's at corporal scotty but yeah just gives a look up and then you'll find your way through that
0: great thank you so uh final question for you so i don't take up too much of your time as you know 28 summers uh, is all about living adventurously and for me i don't frame that as summiting a mountain or or exploring a jungle they could be the things that define living adventurously, But for me, it's also a mindset and it's a, a commitment to pursuing your passion and maybe dancing with the fear a little bit and doing some of the things that take you out of your comfort zone. And I think you've perfectly articulated over the last 45 minutes or so, your story and how you, you've done just that. So for anybody listening today, thinking that they want to try and follow their passions, what might be some of your advice for them?
1: I'd I, to start today start today you know and 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 try and map out the plan it's easy for me to say because I I didn't really do it it happened organically if I look back it looks like a nice timeline of what you know things that events that trigger certain other events and it all led to some but I you know work it back from where you want to be you know and and what do you need to get there and is there are there things you know uh, you know training and are there are certain things that you can begin researching now to get to, to get in that place but also you know it's it, it, it's, it's it's kind of like thinking about that, you know, I, I, I often think you, I was never going to be a professional footballer, right? So, you know, my passion might be football. And, and so there's an element of, of, of being realistic about it. But that doesn't mean that I should give, give up on that passion. So I might be working as a, as a financial accountant or something like that, you know, but my passion is football. But what about if I could work as a financial accountant? counting at Norwich City Football Club and every day I'm going into the ground and I'm in that environment and the work that I am do, the numbers I'm doing all relate to the, the playing staff and the, you know, the merchandise and the, that, you can still get that that feeling and that passion for what you're doing, even with, with the skill sets that you might have. You might think that your skill sets don't lend themselves to to, to the passion that you really have, but actually you can, you, you'd be surprised. You know, so it's just thinking about and you know, then just try and build a roadmap of like, you know, where you want to get to and how you think you might be able to get to it, and and don't just dismiss it because you think I, I dismissed working for a charity or a non-profit because I just didn't think I had the right skill set. Um, but that, that's not, and actually, we recruit more people from outside uh, from commercial the commercial world than we do from from the nonprofit sector, to be honest. So.
0: It's great advice. I really like it. I think that's solid, practical advice for people. And I think it reinforces that message from earlier that it it doesn't need to be this kind of binary moment, this watershed moment where you, you know, Hollywood style decide you're going to quit everything. And that's the big the big drop, the big story. I think for a lot of people, it can be more organic and finding ways to venture towards your passion is is absolutely a smart play. So great advice, what a great way to finish the podcast. I wanna finish Stu by saying, I know you don't necessarily um, like taking the limelight. You're happy for the charity to be front and center, but I'm really glad you agreed to do the podcast today and, and we are able to share your story because I think it is really inspiring. And I'm, I am I wanna say thank you on, on behalf of many others for everything you do for Scotties. Uh, I think we're, we're all really lucky that you you made that that decision to take the job, and and I'm excited to see where you and Nikki take the organisation with the team uh, over the coming years. So um, so thank you for today, and thank you for everything you do for Scotties.
1: No, no thank you. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure, both being on the podcast, but also to do what I do. You know, it's uh, the, the, there's two parts to actually love what you do. There's loving being a part of the organization and what, what we collectively aim to do as part of the mission, but also loving your part within it. I think that's actually that's quite important as well. And I love the journey and I love being given that opportunity to to develop a charity and have that impact. So, yeah, thank you.
0: Perfect way to finish. Thanks, Stu. I told you it's a powerful story. Stu is so humble, but he's a really great leader. I'm fortunate to be a trustee of Scotty's and I see him in action frequently. He's always leading from the front and he is busy disrupting a pretty stale fundraising sector and helping to build a modern charity fit for purpose and intently focused on its beneficiaries. You can follow Stuart on Instagram at Stuart SLS And find out more about this incredible charity at www.scottieslittlesoldiers.co.uk. Thank you, as always, for listening. Your support, your reviews and your feedback honestly has been awesome and it means the world to me. If you can find time, please do leave a review for the podcast. I know it's a bit of a pain, but it really makes all the difference in securing incredible guests to, to bring to you every week. That's it from me today. I'll be back next week with another amazing story. In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy and remember to live adventurously.